In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Thank you, brother. <clears throat> Good evening. You get more of me. I'm sorry. <laughs> my name is Pastor Dan. Well, my name is Daniel, not Pastor. Uh, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're visiting, it's so good to see you, and uh, it's always a joy. I get to open up your word, up, open up the word, and teach it to you. Um, so human history is full of stories that try to capture. Or the, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. We have stories that try to capture what human history has shown us, but human history is full of stories of people looking for a savior, right? whether it's some manifestation of the gods or someone to come, someone or something to come and bring salvation to the dark world, right? What I was beginning to say there is our stories, our books are full of the same narrative. You know, so if you read Harry Potter or you know, watch Star Wars or any of these other you know, famous uh, movies, like you're gonna see that same story come through. There is a Humanity is longing for a savior, and that is clear. And they, they put forward in each of these stories a, a picture of, of a savior, someone to dispel the gloomy clouds of night, someone to put death's dark shadows to flight. So we sing, we sing about this. Every Advent season and Christmas season, we're here, we sing, we light candles because the light of the world has come. The Savior has come. We know this as Christians. God's word teaches us that the Savior has come. Emmanuel, God with us. Christ has come. But still, today, there is a tension felt by all of us. And I, I feel this this year maybe more than ever. Perhaps that's the same with you that the Savior has come, but... It seems like the darkness is winning, right? Like we, kind of like this, this candle that <laughs> seems to be so difficult to light or to, that just barely flickers in this room. Like it feels like the darkness is about to snuff out the light. It feels this, that, that way. It felt like that to me this year in many ways. If you feel that way today, that, that feeling... Uh, that tension, I just want you to know that you're not alone. <laughs> you're not alone, and I have good news for you today. God's word has good news for you. I'm here to proclaim to you that the light of the world has come. There is a message of hope, and what we've just read, the darkness has not and will not overcome the light. So I'm, I, I want to show you today from God's word that if you've received Jesus as your Savior, no matter what darkness comes into your life, you will not be overcome ultimately. So let's pray and ask one more time for God to, to move. Amen? Let's do it. Father, we come before you, and we don't pray just because we're supposed to, but because we are desperately in need of you. 
We thank you, God, that you have come in the person of Christ and that you will come again. Thank you that you are showing up on a daily basis even now. Lord, when we ask you to come, when we gather, when we sing, when we praise, when we worship, you show up. And we ask that you do that now through the preaching of the word. Change our hearts for those who are hurting. Comfort. Bring healing for those who are joyful. Stir the joy, stoke the joy. For those who don't know you, God, I pray that they would feel a strong, deep sense that you are truly the Son of God, Jesus, our Savior. Father, we ask all this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, we've just read, David just read from the prologue of John's Gospel. John was one of the apostles, a dearly beloved uh, friend of Jesus. And he was called the disciple whom Jesus loved. So this, this apostle, John, he was the only one who didn't die a martyr's death. Of all the other 12, he lived to be about 90, but he faced in his life a great deal of suffering. History shows that at one point he was boiled alive in oil and survived it. He was exiled to the island of Patmos from where he wrote the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible. This man not only witnessed Christ's death, he was well acquainted with the sufferings of Jesus, what it meant to follow Jesus. And yet, he writes these words with certainty and boldness that in Jesus, this man is the one who has eternal life. At the end of the book, we see his purpose for writing the Gospel of John. He, he writes, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. There may, may be slides for some of these texts. But let's get into the text and unpack it and see why John was so confident in this message. So verse 1 of chapter 1, I'm going to read it again. In the beginning was the Word, if you could follow along in the Bibles, otherwise it will be up on the screen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Christmas is the life story that goes beyond the birth story. Christmas is a life story that goes beyond the birth story. We read these words, in the beginning was the word. And this is the great mystery of Christmas, of the story that we, that we read and, and celebrate every year. It is, that, it is that behind the famous manger scene and the little baby Jesus is a much bigger story. Right? We consider a baby born in this day and age, maybe if, if, it's, a, if it's a noble birth, especially if it's, if it's a noble birth, we get excited. We, we are so thrilled if a baby is born. But this birth is like none other. There is no comparison to this birth. This baby boy's beginning was strange because it's not actually his beginning. It's the baby, the baby, Jesus, John writes, was in fact there at the beginning of beginnings. 
This phrase, in the beginning, is the same phrase found in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And here we read, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was there at the beginning. And to avoid any confusion about who John is writing about, I just want to read forward a little bit in verse 14. Where John writes, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. John is telling you the story behind the story of the little baby Jesus. This one who took on human flesh. Who was called the word. Who was there at the beginning of all things. So why is John using this word, this, this title for Jesus? The word. It's kind of an odd way would you how would you like to be named the word that would be kind of interesting but jesus is called the word by john and what what john i think is doing though he's he's probably he's likely drawing from a cultural understanding of this greek term the logos i think that john is drawing more of his understanding probably from the old testament understanding of what the word was Throughout the Old Testament, this this word captures the idea of God's self-expression, of God's speech. And interestingly, both psalmists and prophets, I'm quoting here from from, uh, the Old Testament commentary on, on the use of the, sorry, the New Testament commentary on the use of the Old, both psalmists and prophets portray God's word in close to personified terms. You can see that in a number of examples where the word seems to be made into a person in the way that it's described. Let me give you a couple examples. Psalm 33, 6 reads, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made. And, and again, in Psalm 107:20, he sent out his word and healed them. He sent out his word. You see, the word is the one who made the heavens here in Psalms. And the word was sent to heal. But here John does something amazing and he takes this concept of the word that is well understood by Jews and he brings it into a realm that nobody saw. He brings it into the realm of this word appearing in space-time history as a person. The word coming into space, the uncreated word coming into space and coming into time as the person Jesus Christ. What John is doing with this word is he is he's using human language to try to explain a divine mystery. As you continue in verse 1, you see more clearly what John is trying to show us. Let's read again verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God... And the Word was God. So at the very beginning, we've heard the Word was present, right? He was present with God. Who else was present? God. (laughs) He was there at the beginning with God. The Word was with Him. And there is is God and there is Word and the two are separate in, in John's understanding. But then John adds, the Word was God. mind blown what is happening here is it is he the word is he God like which 
What is happening here? The answer is yes. He, he is the word. He is God. And it's confusing. But John is trying to capture something for us, a divine mystery with this language. This Jesus is not just any baby boy. But in fact, God, the one who was at the beginning, who created all things, who existed before time even was created, who is himself the source of everything that exists. He's distinct from God the Father, but himself divine. This is where one of the many texts from where theologians draw the doctrine of the Trinity, that God is Father, Son, and Spirit. He's one being and yet three persons existing in perfect unity in each of their distinct roles. In verse 2, John reminds us that he's talking about a person here. Read verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. He was in the beginning with God. So this divine logos is a person who had always been with God, and he's described here with a personal pronoun. To be clear, John is not teaching that the baby Jesus existed in heaven, in human flesh, before this moment. This is why he says in verse 14 that the word took on flesh, right? So I need you to know that Jesus was not always human, but that he has always been God. And he has existed long before this birth story we read about, or before any of our birth stories for that matter. And when Jesus took on human flesh, he added to his divinity, humanity. He added humanity to his divinity. This is incredible. It's not as though he, he was part God and part man, but the, no, that he was fully God and he was fully man. He was the God-man. This is what theologians and Orthodox Christians for millennia have believed about Jesus Christ. Verse 3 shows us a little bit more clearly the divinity of Jesus in his action, what he does. Read with me verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Wow. God said, let there be, and there was. God created out of nothing. Amen. And Jesus, we're told, made everything. There is not anything that exists that wasn't made through him. All things were made through him. Who can create out of nothing with a mere word? Only God. And this shows us that Jesus is God and that all things were made through him. This includes everything that you don't see, everything that you do see. The heavenly realm, the earthly realm, under the earth. Angels, demons, all things were created by him. Physical and spiritual thrones, all things. And again, to make things clear, John says these words, without him was not anything made that was made. And I need you to hear, this includes Jesus himself. Some throughout history have said that Jesus is a created being by the Father, but this clearly states that there was nothing made except what he made. So that cannot include Jesus himself. He, was, he is and was, and for, forever has been an uncreated being, one with the Father. He is God. So though he was born into the world as a human, we must not be deceived and think he was a created being, but himself uncreated, the one for whom and through whom and by whom all things exist. Everything that exists today, church, everything 
exists because of him, because of Jesus. And this Jesus is the one we sing about today. We sang that he was held by human hands, that he was born into a manger. He was born through blood, sweat, tears, and into dirt. This is the Jesus we sing about. Marvel with me at this mystery that the word became flesh. Christmas is an amazing miracle story. It's a mystery. And why would God do this? This is what John shows us in verse 4. Read, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness. Why would God do such a crazy thing to get off his throne and enter into broken, sinful humanity, to be born into the night? Because he saw your darkness. He saw you in your darkness. He saw all the pain, and he came to bring light to your world. Now, we'll never be healed. We'll never find light unless the, 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 appropriate, you know, the, the actual problem is diagnosed, unless the illness is diagnosed. And the problem, friends, as is told by us, by, by many in our culture, is not our lack of education. It is not the, the lack of health care. It's not the coronavirus. As painful as these things are, it's not climate change, political issues, economic or race issues. Friends, though all these things are a result of the problem, they are not the problem. They are not the ultimate problem. The reason we are dying in the, the, that all these things and many other atrocities exist in the world right now is the simple fact that we have rejected the source of life. Verse 4 says, in Him, that is Jesus, in Jesus was life. In Jesus was life. And the life was the light of who? Of men. Was the light of all mankind. So where do we find life and light in this dark and fallen world? It's only Jesus. It's only Jesus. Many religions and philosophies throughout history have put forth ways by which men could be saved. We're all looking for it and everybody's putting out solutions, but Jesus alone is light and life. Without him, we have nothing. He exists as light and life in himself. And the problem is that we've rejected him. The same one who created life in the beginning, he came. He came. He came to the world that he made, to the people that he fashioned, even to those who had rejected him. He came with the power in himself to recreate us. Jesus is our hope. Church, Jesus is our hope today. Jesus is the light and life of men. This is the main point that I think John is after here. He wants you to see that Jesus is life. And this is exactly what I want for you today. I want you to see that Jesus is life and light. Friends, God is not only the source of all that he created, like a one and done Big bang, sort of have a good life, see you later kind of God. But no, this 
Jesus, when it says he is life, in him is life, it's talking about an ongoing life in him. Like the air you breathe, like the bread you eat, like the water you drink. It's like the roots of the trees. It's a daily needed nourishment for every single one of us. And when humanity looks for things for, for life in things other than God, we are like someone trying to drink from a cup that's got holes in it. And we can fill it up over and over and over again, right? And it'll just never satisfy. We can't get the water that we need. And this is the great deception of humanity, right? That, that we can exist and flourish without God. We're better without Him. This is the same lie that existed right at the beginning, right in the garden, right? That was whispered to Adam and Eve. You, you can do it. You can find life and happiness another way, Adam. You don't need to do it in that way, in God's order. You're not going to die. Hey, you're going to be like God if you eat this fruit. And every one of us, every single one of us have bought that lie, right? Every one of us. Many things are promising to us life and happiness, sex, drugs, money, power, food. It doesn't matter whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. We take even good things and we twist it into God things and we begin to abuse it and make it God. And we're ultimately left wanting. We've all eaten this forbidden fruit. Every single one of us at one time or another and in so doing we've rejected the God who is life and thus the ch- we've chosen the path of death. So this is the diagnosis that man is perishing in sin. Right? Now as we speak in history men, all people are perishing because of sin. But this brings us to the good news of the story. This brings us to the to the vaccine. Too soon. Uh, this brings us to the saving power. To the saving power. It's the good news of the Christmas story. Verse five. This is the second half of verse five. Read it with me. The light shines in the darkness. Sorry, that's the first half of verse five. The light shines in the darkness. I'm just going to stop there. We'll come back. The good news for us, church is that the light has come. The light has come. The same one who created light with a single word has come to restore light and life to the world. Humanity no longer has to wander in darkness and perish apart from God. Verse nine says, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This was the long-awaited Messiah, the one that prophets had told about the one that we all have been waiting for the one that mankind is looking for writes its stories about this is the savior this is the chosen one and so that we wouldn't have to perish in darkness in sin but have an opportunity to be brought back to life in him little did anyone know in that little town of Bethlehem in that manger was born King of kings and Lord of lords, the light and life of men. He stepped down from his throne. He entered into our darkness in order to rescue us from our deepest problem, and that is sin and the result of death. 
So friends, church, this is the solution to our darkness and all of our problems, that Jesus has come to shine in the darkness, and he has come, amen? Jesus has come, and he is the solution to all of our problems. But here lies the tension that I brought up at the beginning. Why does it still feel like the darkness reigns so prevalently, that he's so strong, that the darkness is so strong? Some of us might question it. It feels like this is just another empty tale, Daniel. The the God-man come to save. It feels, I just feel like, man, I'm hurting right now. Where is he? This brings us to the second half of verse 5. Read that with me. And the darkness has not overcome it. Read it one more time. And the darkness has not overcome it. Amen? These are hope-filled words. But also present in these words is the reality of a battle. That word overcome is translated elsewhere as victorious or conquer. This is a battle. There's a a battle between light and darkness present in these words. The light shines and the darkness has not overcome it. It is sure that the darkness will lose, but the battle still rages, church. For Christians, it's the old man, it's the old darkness in us constantly trying to find its way back to the surface, clashing with our new nature in Christ. It's daily the draw towards the world that we feel, right? It's the death all around us, whether family members or just the coronavirus, you name it. For non-Christians, the clash is the same. It's still so real. Whether the loss of loved ones or the frustrations of work, disappointments, the relational tensions that we experience, emotional, mental, spiritual brokenness, demonic oppression, all these things make us feel deeply that there's still something broken with the world. We're still waiting for a Savior. The truth is, He has come and He will come again. The truth is, the victory has been won in Christ's first coming, but it will be complete at His second coming. This is what is called the already, not yet kingdom. God has come, destroying the works of the evil one, destroying sin. He will come again and do, it, do away with it completely, including wiping every tear from our eyes. And yet we still feel the pain. Every single one of us, I've had so many conversations with many of you where you feel the pain of this world on a daily basis. You feel it. Jesus entered the thick of that pain for you. He did. So that the darkness could not overcome it. The light. So that the darkness could not overcome you. Jesus entered the thick. Verse 10 says, He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and his own people did not receive him. This is getting into the story of Jesus' life a little bit more. Jesus enters the world. He comes to the front lines of our pain and our suffering, right? 
And what are we told? We're told that the people didn't receive him. The very ones that God had created, that Jesus had created, he came to his own and they rejected him. Isn't this Mary's son? This is, you know, Joseph. Nazareth. Like, we know where this guy came from. Jesus was driven out of towns. He was poor. He was homeless often. He was slandered. He was mocked. He was spit upon. He was ultimately crucified for our sake on the cross, naked, before crowds. Before the crowds of the people that he had served his entire life. And in those three years had taught and healed and loved. These are the ones who rejected him. And the same has been true even after Christ left this earth. Christ has been scorned and hated and rejected by men. These words are still true. The very people that God created, the ones who lived and had their being in Him, who were ultimately owned by Him, have rejected Him. Every single one of us. And Jesus still came to the front lines so that the darkness would not overcome light. I want to talk a little bit more about this this problem that we're dealing with, the rejection that happens. John writes in chapter 3, verse 19, these words, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. So church, at the beginning of, sorry, at the, at the center of the war between light and darkness is none other than our own hearts. Right in the, right in the thick of the, of the battle is our hearts. It's at the center. This is really important for us to understand. I already stated this, but I want to say it again. The pain we feel in this world, what we feel, our circumstances on a daily basis, is not, they're not the ultimate problem. That's not the root issue that we're dealing with. It's just a symptom of the problem. The problem, again, is our sin and rebellion towards God. The light has come to save us, and yet we are prone to reject Him. Why? Because we love the darkness more than the light. Every single human being that's been born in this world, this, this breaks my heart. This is why I pray for my son day all the time. He is going to grow up to crave the darkness more than he craves the light. That's what scripture teaches us. That's what scripture shows us. We prefer our sin, our hearts have actually become slaves to it. This is what the Bible teaches us, that we we have a sin nature, and we're bent not towards the light, not towards God, but towards darkness, towards our sin. Everyone who lives in opposition to God, doing the things He forbids, and, and not doing what He commands, we're told, hates the light. And refuses to come to the light because it would expose the emptiness and the evil of their lives. Some of you might say to me, Daniel, I don't hate Jesus. I just think that there's probably another way. I mean, there's a lot of religions. We're, we're in old earth. Like we're a lot, Humanity's done this for a while. How can you say that this is it? 
that Jesus is it. I need you to know that in, in claiming that there's another way to be saved, you've embraced another gospel message. If, if that is you, you've embraced a different message that you believe is salvation for you. The world says, our culture right now says, you can have God in the world. You can have Jesus and sin. You can sleep with your girlfriend and be a Christian, or you name it. Whatever the sin is, the world says, it's fine. Just don't hurt anybody. Everything will be okay. Don't make it so black and white, Pastor. The problem is, I'm not the one who's making it black and white. God is. God is the source of life. In him was life. Outside of him is is no life. When Jesus says that he's the way, the truth, the life, that no one comes to the Father but through him, John 14, 6, he's saying clearly that no other religion, no other philosophy, no good works, nothing can save you apart from him. There is nothing. Right now in the world, there is an attack on this message. There is truly an attack. When we believe these messages that we can have God and you name it, and we can add to this Christianity whatever we would like. We are opposing the light. When we believe that, we are opposing the light. This is nothing more than a lie from hell and nothing more than a, a war tactic of the darkness right now. The battle rages on, church, and that is part of what we feel. There is a war for your faith right now in our culture. There's a war. Yes, the devil's defeated, but he will bring down as many as he can as he perishes. Including, if possible, people in the church. So whose side are you on? I'm shooting it straight right now because I love you. I want good for you. I would be in no different place if it weren't for the mercy of God. If you are struggling to believe that Jesus is the exclusive way to God, to the exclusive way of salvation, I want to say, apart from God's mercy, I would be in the same boat. And every one of us that call on the name of Jesus would be as well. John writes in Verse 12, these words, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The truth of the matter is that every one of us at this, at one point, have hated the light because our works were evil and we thus deserve death And Jesus knew that we would reject him. He knew it. But he came anyway. He knew that he would be crucified though he was innocent. And he came and he went to the cross willingly for you and me. He willingly chose that path so that anyone who put their faith, anyone who would receive in this Jesus, who would believe on his name, 
would be reconciled to God, not as slaves forced to obey him, but would actually become children of God. It's absolutely incredible. You would be brought to his house, to his table. You would be brought into his presence. You would be adopted into his family as one of his sons through Jesus. Elsewhere, John describes this transfer from darkness to light, the thing that happens to all Christians and to you if if you put your trust in him today. He describes it as rebirth. A believer who puts their faith in Jesus, so so I've talked about about all this darkness, I've talked about us rejecting him, but but then there's this moment where the gospel is presented to you like I am right now. And when you put your faith in Jesus, the Bible teaches that, that all of a sudden, you're born again. And this rebirth is not, it's not what originally happened, right? It's not like, like your, your mother giving you birth again. It's not of blood. It's not by human parents. It's not by the will of man, John says, but it's by God's will. It's something miraculous that happens in your heart, something that you can't do on your own ultimately, something that I can't make you do. God has to put faith in you and cause you to be reborn. And how that works, nobody knows. How that works, whether it's, you know, what what moment it is that we say, yes, Jesus, or or the rebirth, We we don't know how that happens. But we do know this, that when gospel comes to us, if we are of the sin nature from birth, we need God to do something in our hearts to resurrect us, to have faith, to have life, to want Him. That's what we know. Just as God spoke into the darkness at the beginning of creation, let there be light, and there was light. I believe Jesus holds the power to raise us from dead in an instant. He has the power to bring light to our darkness. We no longer belong to the darkness when we're born again, but we belong to the light so that our primary happiness is not found in the works of darkness, but in the works of light. There's a transfer out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light so that the children of God are like, I don't want that old life anymore. It makes me sick. It was a dead, it was a deadly path, right? It was a deadly path. We feel it when we walk in sin. Even as Christians, if we turn back, it's disgusting. It makes our stomach turn. We feel the shame, the brokenness of all of it. All of a sudden, our taste buds get changed, and we want Jesus. We want light. We don't see Jesus' light as pathetic, poor, killjoy sort of light anymore, but as the glory of God. We see it as our very life. Jesus is not a, a thing to run away from, but the one that we want to run to. This is the miracle of Christmas that's taking place around the world right now as we speak. The darkness and the light are clashing, and when we read the darkness has not overcome it, part of that application is that in your life, the darkness did not overcome the light. Jesus 
got victory in you. And you are now children of light in him. The light shines in the darkness and has not overcome it. Oh, that that would keep happening in, in whether if, if you don't know him, that he would put light in you and in our city, in our world. Oh, Jesus, bring the light of the world in greater ways, Jesus, today. The kingdom of God is advancing right now in hearts around the world. Satan and his workers seek to stop it. Indeed, they seek to stop the word of God from spreading, but it cannot be stopped. The gospel goes forward. The darkness has not overcome it. Uh, overcome it. Christmas is a global message. It's a global message of hope, healing, and happiness to all who believe in Jesus. But again, there's this tension, and I Again, we feel it deeply that we, we still suffer pain. So what, what about that? How has the darkness overcome? How, how has the darkness not overcome us in these areas? Daniel, you're going to tell me, just, just believe it's going to be all right. Just believe it's going to be okay. The story of Scripture is so much more robust than that. It really is. Let me... Let me show you. Following Christ does not mean that suffering will come to an end. We're crystal clear on that. John was crystal clear on that. Peter, his buddy, would go and be crucified upside down in Rome. So many of his friends, he watched Jesus die. He himself suffered, as we said. Just the opposite. Christ actually promises us that we will be rejected by men, even as he was rejected by men. The light continues to clash with the darkness, but we're promised the darkness will not overcome it. For those who believe in Christ, this is what Scripture teaches us. You have a source of contentment and joy and hope that goes beyond your circumstances. There is something deeper that can't touch what you are experiencing. When you are united to Jesus through faith, we're told that eternity actually has begun for you. When you are united to the source of life, you are promised eternal life, and nothing can separate you from this love. Not one thing. Nothing can overcome the light. Nothing can ultimately overcome you because Jesus lives in you. His presence in you, His power to keep you, is the reason that you will overcome, even in the midst of these circumstances. His unification with you, the fact that you're united to the Son and that eternal life has begun in you means there's nothing that can ultimately touch you. There is a deeper contentment, and it's Christ in you. Not even our sin. Church, if you're struggling today with some sin, some addiction, whatever it is, if you're wrestling, God promises not to count your record against you, but to give you Christ's record. The righteous one who never sinned. Not even death. If coronavirus were to take you today, you would step into the presence of Christ and rule with him. Even as he was raised, we're promised that we will be raised with him. Amen? No matter what suffering we experience, there is none that will ultimately destroy you because of the life that you are connected to. There is no loneliness. There is no 
fear. There is no sickness that will ultimately destroy you because of the life you are connected to. No loss in this world will ultimately be lost to you. Jesus will restore everything that you have lost. The new heavens and the new earth are promised to us along with all the blessings of it. The battle has been won, church. It was finished at the cross. It was proven through the resurrection. If Christ has been raised, we will rise with him. The battle, yes, it rages. It does rage on, but only because God is patient with those who are yet to believe right now. Soon is coming a day when death and Satan and sin and all the darkness of this world will be destroyed. So I want to call you, if you don't know Jesus, to take refuge in Savior, in the Savior Jesus. In him is life. There is no life except for in him. Even as he's the source of all things that were made, he spoke and things came to existence. God can speak and give you life right now, and that's my hope for you. If you are there, I want to invite you to come and talk to me and pray with you, talk further, answer questions, and, if, and, and anyone else in this room, I'm sure, would love to talk with you as well. So this Christmas, if you are trusting Jesus, there is a reason to rejoice, Even though we just finished up one of the hardest years that probably any of us have had, there is reason to rejoice. The light in life has come and the darkness has not overcome it, will not overcome it, amen? This Christmas, rejoice. Even in your suffering, rejoice. And your grieving, rejoice. Rejoice because Satan is defeated, sin is overcome, and you belong to the family of God. So church, we're going to worship now. I want to invite you to come and adore Christ for all that he has done, for all that he is. He's worthy of our praise, amen? And these, after I pray, in these next few moments, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together, and Ross is going to pass it out to you. If you are trusting Jesus and are part of a church family, we invite you to this table to fellowship with Christ and with his body, that is the church. So he'll pass it out, we'll sing a song, and then we'll take that together after Travis gives a little devotional. So let's pray together. And I'll, uh, Father, God, we praise you that you have come in the person of Jesus. God, you stepped into our darkness, into our brokenness, into our weakness, and you won You are victorious in all of our suffering, Lord Jesus. We praise you that you overcame. You rose from death after living a perfect life on our behalf. And Lord, you promise that you are with us even now to the end of the age. Lord, as we sing, would you help our hearts to adore? As we take this supper, as we eat together, would you help us to rejoice in all that you have done for us this Christmas? We love you, King Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.